Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. God is so good, amen. Anybody excited to be at church today? How about that, that worship team this morning? I'm going to encourage them not to get too far. Uh, we're going we're gonna to end strong. We're going to end loud. We're going to end with praise and worship today. God's put a message on my heart that I want to communicate to you. It's more than a message. It's, it's, it's a way of life that we're going to see over a few scriptures, some truths and some principles that we will extract. But really, it's for a lifestyle that's postured before the Lord that keeps us in position that we can walk and experience the fullness of joy, that we can experience his presence. And can I tell you this? There's nothing like the presence of God. There's nothing like the presence of God. It, it, it's those moments that when you can get silent and still before the Lord and get in his presence, that everything begins to change. I, I have made it a point in my life that getting in God's presence is not just for preparation of a message. Now, I say that because there's a lot of people that when preparing to preach the word or, or when they want to communicate a message is when they get alone and they get quiet before the Lord. No, every day of my life, I want to get alone and I want to get quiet before the Lord because my life is not just a message preached on this platform. My life is understanding the word of God everywhere that I go because the Bible says this, those that worship him, they worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. And so if I don't know the truth of my word, then I can't remain in a constant state of worship, which puts me in position to constantly experience his presence. I need God's presence. At the end of the day, without God's presence, I'm nothing. I need God's presence. I was having a conversation a couple days ago, uh, and, and we were talking about, you know, the different giants of the seasons of life. Anybody ever caught up against some, some giants before? Maybe there's been some financial giants. Maybe there's been some marriage giants. Maybe there's been some giants in regards to just different things that you've struggled with in, in life and, 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 and you've had some giants. And someone asked me, they said, Sean, what's your giant? I said, every single time I get ready to take the platform, the giant is what's under my feet right now. Now I say that on purpose because it is no easy thing to get up here and, and, and to just, you know, have a message that we can just throw out there to you. I don't want anybody here just to have a message. I want everybody here to be able to hear a word from the throne room of God. And so it means in order to get to that place, I have to posture my life to get alone in God's presence. But every day of my life, platform or no platform, I need a word from God that puts me in position that allows me to remain in his presence. Because his word is what reminds me of his promises. His word is what reminds me of his faithfulness. His word is what reminds me of his goodness. His word is what allows me to know when I step foot on the ground every single morning, it be my God before me that nothing would be against me. And so it's important that we have to be pursuers of God's presence. I want you to hear that. You need to be a pursuer of God's presence. Some of us, we wait for God's presence to meet us, but no, we need to be a pursuer of God's presence. Now, it's great that I can come to church and I can have this moment of worship, but when you leave from here, are you going to continue to pursue God's presence in a lifestyle of worship? And so it's important that if 
We call ourselves believers in Christ that we live our life postured in worship because worship is your weapon. I want to tell you today, worship is your weapon. Your praise is your weapon. Your praise is your weapon. Your worship is your weapon. Because the enemy comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But what does Jesus say? I come that you have life and have it more abundantly. So what's my defense? It's my ability to be able to walk in praise, to walk in thanksgiving, to have a life that is worship and putting God in position that he can constantly cause the enemies to move in every other direction but my way. I got to get into this thing this morning. I got so many things that I want to communicate to you. Let me tell you. John chapter 2. I want you to turn with me this morning. John chapter 2. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about praise today. We're going to talk about living a, a life that is a sacrifice of praise and worship today. Um, and so I want uh, to take a look at John chapter 2. Turn with me over there, John chapter 2. And then we're going to pick up in verse 13 in John chapter 2. And immediately after that, um, we're going to slide right on over to Matthew 21 for those that are taking notes. Um, each of these stories that we're going to discuss this morning, they reveal many of the same principles. Um, but I want us to extract certain lines of text so we can have our direction for where we're going to go today. I want to say this, though, before we read John chapter 2. When it comes to living a life of worship before the Lord, the enemy does not want us to be able to give God our worship and give God our praise. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But he'll do anything and everything to get your worship off God and get your worship on other things or on yourself. And any time that we put our worship and our praise not on God but on other things is when you give the enemy a foothold. Every time throughout Scripture when God's people were not living a life of worship unto the Lord, they were walking in defeat. They were held captive. They were broken and destroyed. The Bible says this in Joshua chapter 1. He says to, to Joshua, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, Joshua, rise up because you're the one that's going to lead my people into the promised land. But he says that everywhere that the sole of your foot touches, you will have victory, and this will be the land that I have promised you. Somebody say, everywhere the sole of my foot touches is where my promise is. So everywhere that the sole of your foot touches is the promises that God has for you. Now it's important to know that the Bible says that our steps are ordered of the Lord so the sole of your foot is not meant to go everywhere. It's meant to be according to your purpose. And the purpose that God was speaking to Joshua was a geographical region in which the promised land, the land that he had prepared for his people, the nation of Israel, is what they were to possess. And so the Bible says that as they crossed over into the promised land, they began to have great victory. And, and the Lord said to Joshua, the only condition to this promise is that you meditate on my word to do according to everything that's in it. Meditate on this law. Do according everything that was in it. Well, what was the law? The law was the instruction for worship. The law was the instructions given for them to live a life that would cause them to serve the Lord. That he would be their God and not the idols of the world. 
And so what we begin to find is that they cross over into the promised land and everywhere the sole of their foot touched, they were having great victory. But the Bible records in Joshua chapter 15 and verse 63 that when they went up against the Jebusites who were dwelling in Jerusalem, they could not drive them out. Therefore, until the day and the time came in which David overtook Jerusalem, the Jebusites dwelled amongst the nation of Israel. They learned to live with the enemy. And the question is, why were they not able to drive them out? In the book of Judges, chapter 1, in verses 18 through verse 21, we find out. And what happened was this. When the nation of Israel went up against the enemy, they saw that the enemy were riding in on chariots. And they saw these chariots and they got afraid and so they ran. They looked at the present circumstance. They looked at the present situation. They let fear get into their heart rather than faith extended to God. And they began to run. And the moment that they moved their worship and their faithfulness to God because they were looking with the eyes of the natural is the moment that they began to, to have defeat over their life. And so the first 20 verses of the book of Judges talks about the victories that they have in chapter 1. And the last 20 verses of the first chapter of Judges talks about everywhere that they lost. It's important to recognize that your worship is a weapon. What is worship? My worship is a life that is faithful unto the Lord. Worship is more than just a song that's being sung. Praise is more than just a song that's being sung. It's a life postured before the Lord in which my faith, my hope, my trust is in him and him alone. And so the problem was is that the Israelites, they took their faith off God and they begin to run in fear and it records that they begin to dwell, inhabit, live with the enemy. Now that wasn't the problem. The problem was this. As they begin to live with the enemy, they begin to change their lifestyle, their culture, their customs, their beliefs to match the enemies. And I can't help but to think how many of us, we still tolerate the enemy to dwell with us through cultural lifestyles and habits and situations and things that cause us to compromise on the presence of God. Oh, I could come to church on Sunday and worship, but when I leave from here, what am I worshiping? And so the Bible said that they could not drive them out. They could not drive them out. They couldn't, but how many of you know that God's called us to drive out the enemy? God's called us to drive out the God's called us to drive out every vulture that tries to come in your life. God's caused us, given us the ability to not allow any of the vultures to remain in our life. Can I give you a couple of things about some vultures? I promise you, we're going to get into John 2. I promise you, we're going we're gonna to talk this out. I was thinking about this because I wanted to, to, to understand the concept of a vulture. Those of you that are here at Abundant Life for the, for, the first, for the first time or you're visiting with us, we've been in a series called Vulture Chasers. And I don't have time to, to recap the whole thing, but the concept of, of the vultures is, and, and this is even some things that I pulled up, that, that what vultures do is they, they, they come in, they're territorial, by the way, I didn't know if you knew that. Vultures are territorial, by the way. They have the ability to sense what it is that they want to, to eat from a mile away. Catch this. This is really cool, too. There's over 23 species of vultures. But you know what the common thing of all of them is? None of them have a voice box. They can't chirp. That's fascinating. And 
Though they have no voice box, it's actually one of the tactics that they use to sneak up on their prey because you can't hear them coming. They're silent. How many know the enemy doesn't want you to hear him coming? He's silent. And so he's not big and loud when it comes to rising up against you, when it comes to stealing your worship away from God. He's silent. He'll use the subtle things. He'll use the little things. And before you know it, he's there pecking away at your purpose. Because that's what vultures do. They, 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 they peck away at the life that's left in an animal. Vultures don't just prey on the dead, they also prey on the weak. They prey on the weak. And the enemy knows this, if there's any strong Christian, he can't touch you. So what does the enemy do? The enemy looks for those that are weak. He don't care that you're saved, he wants to know, do you understand the word of God? He wants to sneak up on you. He wants to try and sneak in. He wants to try and, 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 and begin to get the weak because that's what vultures go after is the weak. They go after the weak and they go after the dead. Are there some dead things in your life that God wants to resurrect but you've allowed the vultures to remain and dwell with you and so you can't ever see those dreams come alive again, that vision be fulfilled again? You've put some, 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 some things in the drawer and you've closed it because you thought it was over. If you let some, some, some of the, the, the blessings just sit on the bookshelf collecting dust and, and you've never taken full possession of it because you just thought it was dead. And you've allowed certain people to be vultures in your life. Oh, but you don't understand, Sean, these people, that, that's, my prayer, that's my prayer circle. Are they praying with you or are they praying on you? And so the enemy will come in silent. The enemy will come in looking for the weak areas and the dead areas. The enemy will come in and try and steal and kill and destroy your purpose. God's purpose for the nation of Israel was to touch the promised land, to live in the promised land, to dwell in the promised land. God's purpose for your life is to walk in fullness, to walk in blessing, to walk in increase, to walk in health, to walk in wholeness for your family to be saved, for your children to serve the Lord. But the enemy's going to try and come in and steal your worship, steal your praise, steal your heart. And so we find here in the book of John chapter 2 a very interesting passage. I'm excited about it because as I was reading through it, and I've read through this passage so many times before, but the Lord stopped me at John chapter 2 verse 13. And I want to pick up where it starts right here and it says this. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business, when he had made a whip of cords. How bad is that that Jesus made a whip of cords? I mean, he didn't run out, you know, and buy a whip of cords. I mean, like, he had enough time, like, to go on the side, you know, and start, like, putting together, fashioning a whip of cords. He, he, like, like, that's, I don't even know how to braid, but I'm assuming that's what he was doing. He was braiding a whip of cords together, you know? That, that dude is just wild. I don't even know where to buy a whip of cords right now. There might be an Etsy shop for that somewhere, but... I mean, this, this guy, he made a whip of cords and then he drove them all 
out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money, and he overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take note of that, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Verse 17, then the disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for the house has eaten me up. Quickly, I want to jump into Matthew 21, verse 12 through 14. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and he drove out all of those who bought and sold, bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Then he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. I want to talk to you simply from the subject line today, driving them out, driving them out, driving them out. It's time as the body of Christ we don't allow the enemy to dwell amongst us. It's time that you drive the enemy out. It's time that you recognize that there is power in your praise. There is power in your worship. There is power when you begin to declare the word of God out of your mouth, over your purpose, over your life, over your circumstance, which causes the enemy to be driven out of your purpose. Driving them out. And so the Bible says in John chapter 2, in verse 13, it opens up, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. My goodness, so much in eight words that we can take a look at right there. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. In the book of Leviticus, it says that the Passover of the Lord is at hand. So when did it become the Passover of the Jews? Well, some of y'all are following where I'm going with this this morning. The Passover was a time to celebrate what God had done back in the book of Exodus when he set his people free. When the angel of the Lord came through Egypt and everyone that had the blood that was painted over the doorpost, God passed by them, not causing the first male child to die. And therefore, out of that moment, it was a moment to celebrate the fact that they turned their heart, they turned their worship, they turned their trust to God. In that moment, declared a celebration that was called Passover. And God instructed for future generations on the 14th day, of this particular month, it would be a Passover celebration unto God. But this scripture right here says that it was a Passover of the Jews that was at hand. So when did their worship shift from God to themselves? The first thing that you need to be aware of when the enemy is going to try and come in and steal your promise and steal your purpose, he's going to look at where is your worship. Is my worship unto God or is my worship unto myself? Is my worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords or is the worship to myself? Is my worship to El Shaddai or me, myself, and I? It's important to see this here because I ask this question, is our house of worship glorifying God or is it glorifying ourselves? Because at the end of the day, everybody's going to worship something and the devil knows that. The devil was the chief worshiper in the kingdom of heaven, and then pride began to fill his heart. And the Bible records that the Lord looked at Lucifer trying to ascend on the highest mountain, and he casted him out of heaven because of his pride. He was trying to steal all the worship that belonged to the Lord, and he tried to put it on himself because he thought he was beautiful and perfect and amazing. 
And isn't it interesting that we live in a culture today that's all about puffing ourselves up? How we look, how we act, how we communicate, who we are. It's all about me. No, it's all about him. Who I am is because of him. Who I am is because of him. But when we put our worship on ourselves, and that's the problem with culture. Culture wants you to look at yourself and say you're not good enough, so you need to do this or you need to do that. I find it interesting, like whenever I'm on Instagram now, like they send me all of these ads and things for, for, for how to grow my hair. How do you know that I'm bald, Instagram? <laughs> I don't need hymns. I'm good. <laughs> and no, I'm not going to spray it. But the reality is this, is because when we look at those things, we begin to allow that to become the object of our affection. What worship does is, 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 is worship in your life is anything that becomes the object of your affection. Anything that you begin to, to, to place the highest value on is what you worship. And so when I'm looking at the gram and I'm trying to keep up with the algorithms of how to hold my popularity and keep my face in the limelight because I want to be liked and I want to be appreciated and I want to be accepted, then guess what? The platform of my worship is not for God. The platform of my worship has simply become a social platform. I'm trying to help you today to understand is that the enemy wants to steal your worship. And if he, and here's the thing, the enemy doesn't even care if you worship him. He just doesn't want you to worship God. And so what we see here is that the Passover, the celebration, the purpose of this moment, of this time that was meant to give sacrifice, that was meant to bring worship into the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I know in this passage, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross and died yet, but stay with me. The purpose was to honor the Lord, was to honor God. But we identify that this moment shifted from God to themselves. No longer the Passover of the Lord, but the Passover of the Jews. What was it that became the object of their affection that caused them to no longer look to God, but look to themselves? It's pretty simple. Tradition. 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 Somebody say tradition. Now let me hit you with this. Tradition simply means habits. Let me help you with that. Before we start thinking about the word tradition as traditional, the word tradition means habits. They begin to develop habits within themselves that kept them from being able to look to God. And what was happening in this time is that they begin to make preparations in this Passover moment, this celebration moment in which they would come to God to bring a sacrifice. And the Bible even says it there, that what was going on in the temple is that they were making provisions so that everybody could have what was needed for the sacrifice. That's why all the animals were in the temple. It was for sacrifice. But as we begin to find out, they were so focused on their tradition, on their habits, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, you don't know the power of the word of God because of your traditions. Because of your habits. You have fallen short because you have gotten hung up with habits in your life. 
And see, it's, it, it, the important thing to understand is this. What, what, what were the traditions there for? See, in the Old Testament, a little bit of teaching for a moment, when they restored the temple and Ezra and Nehemiah and the walls and that whole beautiful moment where they built the temple and they restored the walls, they found the remains of the original manuscripts of the word of God, the law of God that instructed them for worship. And they were so concerned that people would fall away from serving the Lord, from following the law of God that was instructed for the instructions for worship, that they begin to add more instructions for worship. So they begin to put fences around the law. They would hedge fences around the law by adding more laws. And so what happens is Jesus looks at the Pharisees in another situation and he says, you're hung up on your traditions. The Pharisees say, yeah, but you don't wash your hands before you eat. Therefore, you're going to defile the food. Clearly, this was pre-COVID. But Jesus says, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not what touches the food that defiles it. It's what's on the inside that defiles it. He says, because what you touch, what you consume, it passes through you and goes right out. But what comes out of you, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what I want to tell you is that God's not looking for your habits. He's looking for your heart. The heart of worship. The heart of praise. The heart of gratitude, the heart of thanksgiving, the heart that looks to him and says, God, I trust you. But the problem was they were trusting traditions, they were trusting habits. And so it made it very, very hard for people to be able to experience the presence of God because lest they were perfect, they couldn't touch the presence. Our church is not like that today. Lest everyone that is on the outside of the church come in is a perfect representation of the church. How often I've seen people feel alienated, feel cast out, not feel welcome in church because we have an expectation in our tradition of how you're supposed to look, of how you're supposed to act, of how you're supposed to praise God, of how what your worship position is supposed to be. Do I got the field goal position or do I have the cup of water under the faucet position? God's not looking at any of this. He's looking at this. God's looking on the inside of your heart. The Bible says this. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. He doesn't praise the habits of the people. He inhabits. The word inhabit means to take residence. The word inhabit comes from the word habitat, environment. The environment that you create for God is the environment that he's going to dwell in. And God wants us to create an environment with a heart that is desperate for God that loves the Lord, that serves him, that seeks him, that wants to know him, that is willing to shut out all of the nonsense and all of the noise. Just the other day I told my wife, I said, I'm turning off all notifications on every app of my phone. I'm done. I'm not going to do a quick goodbye Instagram post, by the way. I'm just going to turn notifications off. I'm just going to turn it off because I'm not going to live my life based on algorithms. I'm not going to live my life based on notifications. I'm not going to live my life based upon the, 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 the bird chirping whistle on Twitter. I'm not going to live my life looking to that. I'm going to live my life as intentional as I can saying, Lord, in this moment right now, I look to you. I need you. In this moment right now, I desire to seek you. My answer is not going to be found on Google. My answer is only going to be found in God. And so, Lord, I need 
to discipline my life to come before you. And it's not about how I look. It's not how about how I act. And I'm trying to communicate this to somebody today because maybe you're here at church and you feel like there's only one way that you can, that, that, that you can show yourself in order for God to accept you. No, God doesn't care what your background is. God doesn't care what your skin color is. God doesn't care if you've made it or if you've lost. God doesn't care how broken you are. God doesn't care how put together you are. All that God cares about is do you have a heart that is for him? Do you seek him? Do you want to know him? But the people in the temple, they didn't know the presence of God. Because they were hung up on the traditions. They were hung up on the habits. What habits are you hung up on that's causing you to compromise the presence of God in your life? And so the Bible says this, verse 14. He comes into this temple and he sees those that are selling oxen, sheep, and doves, money changers doing business. He makes the whip of cords, he drives them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he pours out the changers' money and he overturned the tables. In verse 16, he says, where he said to those that sold doves, take these things away. My father's house is not to be a house of merchandise. It's, 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 it's a place of prayer. It's a place of worship. I love that somebody told me and they said, well, then why do you guys sell church merch and coffee? By the way, everything that's sold in the church goes back into the church. Some of y'all need coffee for your praise. <laughs> Some of y'all, I smell coffee during your praise. But it's his breath in my lungs, and no, it's that hot cup of coffee that's in your lungs. <laughs> you pour out your breath. Only. God's good. Gosh, I can't stay in traditions. I'm sorry. They irk me. I don't even know what the word irk means, but it just makes me feel like I can't stand traditions. I can't stand habits. Sean, where are you going to wear a suit? I'm not going to wear a suit unless I feel like wearing one. Uh, these are the things, right? So, like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going, we're, we're going to do this, <laughs> I'm going to do this midweek style. It's the only way that I know how to roll. I'll leave that open just in case. Here we go. Y'all ready? This is why I get so in, into this place, into this position of things. I hate coming to church and treating it as business as usual. I hate coming to church and expecting it to just be another Sunday with the same old songs and the same old things. Not that we do the same old songs, so don't even take that out of context. But I'm, I, I, I want to come to God because I want to meet God in the place of his glory and of his presence. I want to seek the Lord when we can come together in this capacity and dare get before the Lord and know that God's going to do something great and mighty. It's not enough for me to just come in here and put on my Sunday best and throw up my hands and then walk from here and go back into the same mess. 
I want to come to church because I want the power of the praises of God's people to yield the increase of the land. I want to see the praises of God's people cause you to walk in the promises of God. So I don't care what we wear and I don't care how we act and I don't care about any of this stuff. The only thing that I care is at the end of the day, is your heart ready to seek the Lord? Because tradition will kill you. Habit will kill you. I have the greatest grace right now for our worship team. And I was praying about this and the Lord put this on my heart. I have taken a portion of my prayer time now to actively and aggressively pray for our worship team. Our worship team has the responsibility not just to lead us in worship, but lead us to the place of God's presence. And the enemy does not want us to touch the place of God's presence, so he'll do anything to hinder the moment of worship. And so our team, they have to come prayed up, read up, ready to go into the day if they're going to be able to usher us into God's presence. They don't just come in here and pull out, you know, a Christian's best playlist. What do you guys want to, what do you want to sing today? Well, it sounds good, right? What's, what are we in the mood for? They don't do that. They spend time interceding before the Lord because they want to show up in this place ready to lead us to the throne room of God. And so Jesus comes to the temple and he says, you're not doing anything that is of value that's leading us to the presence of my father. You're so hung up on your traditions and your habits and your routines and anything and everything that is not about leading ourselves to the throne room of God. And he gets irate and he gets upset. And of course we, we, we read that he, that he makes the whip and he flips over the tables. But there's more in depth to that. Because the Bible says this in John chapter 2, he flipped over the tables of the money changers. Can I talk to you about the money that they were using for a second? The money that they were using was foreign currency. And imprinted on the foreign currency was idols or pagan gods. So they're coming into the temple of the Lord with currency that had pagan gods imprinted on them. Or kings of other nations that were imprinted on them. And see, the kingdom of the currency you use is where you live, where you dwell, and who you serve. And if you don't believe that, you better pull out the $20 bill that's in your pocket and look what's on that piece of paper. You say, yeah, well, those presidents are dead, but it is illustrating the fact that we are subject to the government of this nation. Let me tell you, I'm subject to the government of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But what was happening was they were bringing this money in, this currency in, into the temple. And what happened was this, is that they knew that they weren't allowed to keep that money in the temple, lest they desecrate the house of God. So what happens? Jesus flips over the tables and what does he say? How dare you turn this house of prayer into what? A den of thieves. What was happening? What was happening was this. Those that were selling the animals knew very well that they could not allow that money to remain in the temple so they would line their pockets with the money. And so they become thieves, stealing away from all the people that were intended to go into the presence of God and present sacrifice. What is stealing your sacrifice away from being able to come before the Lord with your best? 
And so what we see here is that he gets irate about this and he flips over the tables and it says that he began to drive out all of those who were buying and selling. Somebody say buying and selling. He didn't drive out everybody, just those that were buying and selling. Why? Because you can't buy a sacrifice unto the Lord. And you can't sell God's presence. So he drives out all those that were buying and were selling. But those that were still there was because they had a sacrifice of praise prepared and ready. Do you have a sacrifice of praise in your heart today? God's not looking for a sacrament. He's looking for a sacrifice. God wants a sacrifice. God wants a sacrifice. And so he drives out all these people out of the temple, and it says that the animals begin to follow, but he made a very, very, very detailed, detailed, specific remark regarding those that sold doves. Let me read this to you, as I want you to see this. Watch this. Verse 16, John chapter 2. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. And in Matthew 21, very specific, similar command. He drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple, the money changers, and the seats of those who sold doves. He drove out those who sold doves. Those who sold, that's interesting. See, I found this, anytime you find something repeated over and over in scripture, it's a reason for you to stop, pause, and to take a look at it once again. Why would he drive out those who sold doves? You ever gone and purchased a vehicle, leased a vehicle in here? There should be a lot of hands in this place, right? You show up to the dealership, based on how you look, is going to determine what they're going to try and sell you. And so if I show up to a dealership and I look not put together, they're not going to try and sell me a Lamborghini. But if I show up to a dealership in a suit and cufflinks and looking all sharp, tie, turtleneck and chain, I know what I'm talking about. You know, you know, like, listen, you know when you got it on point and you roll up into a place, really? right? You get a little pep in your step. You know it's on. You feel good. And so, you know when you go to that dealership, based upon what you're wearing is what they're going to sell you. They're not going to come out if you're wearing a suit with a lime green pinto. But if you're not put together... They're probably going to come out with a lime green pinto or a rusty fiat. But if you just kind of come in in your casual everyday wear, I don't know, they might look at you and say, well, let's find you something affordable. Has anyone ever been told that before? Let's get you into something affordable. 
Let's get you into something affordable, something that you can afford. In the Old Testament, when God gave instruction on how to make a sacrifice, he said this, I want you to present to me a pure sacrifice, a blood sacrifice of either a bull or a goat. But if you can't afford it and you're absolutely broke, you can come and you can bring me some flour. But for those that can give an affordable offering, a pigeon or a dove is acceptable. And so what we begin to find here in the temple is that the people that were stealing the money were trying to sell an affordable sacrifice so that all that gathered together to worship the Lord would just give an affordable sacrifice a common praise. And God does not desire his people to give an affordable sacrifice or a common praise. It's noted in history that at Passover time that they would sacrifice over a quarter of a million animals in a weekend. And of that number, the majority of them was the affordable sacrifice, was the ones that they could. And here's the thing, most people that were coming in there probably could have afforded a lot more. They probably could have afforded a bull or a goat or something that was more significant. But tradition had come in and the habit came in that said, that's good enough. The enemy wants you to come in and say, that's good enough. Right when you're at the moment of your breakthrough, that's good enough. Right when you're at the moment of your healing, that's all you need. Right when you're at the moment and you're seeing God begin to move in that business deal, you trusted him far enough. That's okay. Just when you feel like everything's coming all together and you've gotten your life back on track and you're coming to the house of God of worship, go ahead. Just watch online or down a podcast. You don't need to be in corporate worship. Just when you're at the place that you're ready to see God yield the biggest promise of your life, that's all right. Just listen to a song on the way to work. You don't have to get up early and be in my presence before the Lord in a time of devotion, in a time of scripture, in a time of knowing who I am. That's okay. And so we live our life with affordable worship. We live our life with secondhand praise. And so these people, they come together in the temple, giving a common worship to God. Affordable. Jesus, I thank you that you were not an affordable sacrifice. Jesus, I thank you that you paid the ultimate price, that I could have life again, life in eternity, that I could have an abundant life on this earth. Thank you, Lord, because of you, you have made crooked paths straight. Thank you, Lord, because of you, you put streams in my desert, that you've made a way in the wilderness. Thank you, God, because of the sacrifice that you were willing to give for me. It allows me to walk in the promises, allows me to walk in every single thing that you have prepared for my life, which means I'm going to pour out my praise. I'm going to pour out my best. It's not going to be common. It's not going to be affordable. It's not going to be easy. Let me tell you, your praise cannot be at the moment when everything is all right. In fact, your best praise comes when you've got the biggest problems because praise causes you to push through the barriers. It causes you to break through into what God has for you. I want to close with this. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
the King Jehoshaphat, he was getting ready to go to war against the Moabites. And this was going to be a huge war that was at hand. And so when they came to him and they said, how do you want to organize the army? And he said, don't put the archers up front. Don't put those with swords and spears up front. Put the praise team up front. Put the worship team up front. We're going to go into battle with praise on our lips. We're going to go into battle with a song of, 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 of praise that's on our heart and worship before the Lord. And so as they begin to worship before the Lord, it creates confusion in the camp. And all of a sudden, the enemy was in complete disarray. And the nation of Israel, they overtook the Moabites. So much so that when they destroyed that enemy, uh, that enemy army, that for three days they were picking up spoils. For three days they were picking up riches. For three days they were yielding the increase from the land. Why? Because they had a praise and a shout. And they had worship that was on their heart. And so Jesus drives out these merchants and drives out those that bought and sold. He clears the temple. And the, Bible's the Bible says that the disciples made note about what it said in Psalms, that zeal for the house. Do you have zeal for the house? I'm not just talking about this house, zeal for this house. Do you have zeal for this house? What do you need to clear out of this temple so that you can make room for the fullness of God's presence in your life. Do you have zeal for this house? Ready? The word zeal means to pursue or defend. Are we pursuers of God's presence and are we defenders of God's presence? Will I pursue the heart of God and will I defend the heart of God not to let the enemy dwell among me? I'm driving the enemy out because I'm going to make room for the presence of God in my life in every area of my life. I want the increase of what God has for me. I want the promises of what God has for me. But more than that, I want God to know that my praise promotes his power. Well, let me tell you this. Praise, it promotes God's power. And then God will be fruitful in your faithfulness. Praise promotes his power. Yeah, but Sean, I, you know, I can't hold a key of E or sing a melody. The Bible says this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Not just those that are holding instruments and that can sing songs. Now thank God we got the instruments and songs. It makes us sound a lot better. But he said, let everything that has breath. Do you have breath today? If you got breath, you got praise. If you got breath, you've got purpose. If you got breath, you got promise. Praise puts you on the path of your purpose for you to walk in promise. My last line today, because he says this in Matthew 21, when he's addressing everything that's going on in the temple, verse 14, and I will go back and I'll read verse 13. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed him. The key to your healing is getting your house in order. Get your house right. Jesus says an evil spirit goes out of a man, tries to seek a dry place, can't find it. So he comes back to the house, finds it swept and put in order. So he goes out, 
He finds seven other homies that are more wicked than him. And they try to figure out how they're going to set up shop in that house again. Some of you have allowed the door of the enemy to allow him to set up shop in your life. But I'm here to tell you that your praise and your worship and your faithfulness to the Lord will drive out the enemy that will make your house clean, which will put you in position to walk in the wholeness and the healing and the provision and the direction that God has for your life. Some of you today have been struggling because you don't know what your next step is. You don't know what direction you need to go into. Let me ask you, what does your house look like? Is your house in order today? Is your house in order today? How's your family altar today? What's your worship life today? What's your praise life today? I don't start any day without me opening up by saying, I enter your th gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. I start off with a praise dance in my heart. Because I don't have a good dance in my legs, but I start off with a praise in my heart. Because I know that my God is a good God. I know that my God loves me. I know that my God wants to bless me. So, Lord, let there not be one thing that separates me from your presence. Let there not be one thing that keeps this house out of order. Lord, let my house today, God, be swept clean, put back in place so that I can experience the healing power. Some of you need healing in your heart today. Emotional healing today. Some of you today, your, your mind's just gone all crazy because you've turned your worship to politicians. You've turned your worship to economic advisors. You've turned your worship to social suggestions. You've turned your worship to everything except the one thing, the king of kings. I want to tell you today that the moment you turn your heart back to God, your house is immediately in order. There's no habit, no ritual, no tradition that you have to do to prove yourself. God's just looking for those that have a heart for him today. And the heart for him is what opens up the, the door for him to begin to heal you, to renew you, to restore you, to free you, to provide for you. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.